Welcome to Jewish Songwriter, the podcast by, for, and about Jewish songwriters. I'm your host, Sheldon Lowe, and each week I interview a different Jewish songwriter to learn a little bit about their music, their lives, and their writing process. These songwriters are some of my favorite people, and I'm excited to talk to them, draw inspiration, and to share it all with you. If you're like me, you're constantly looking for new Jewish music, so I've asked each writer to share about a new song which you'll be able to hear in full on the Jewish Songwriter Spotify playlist and YouTube channel. Best of all, if you subscribe to this podcast, it'll automatically download to your device each week for free. This week's Jewish songwriter is Josh Nelson. Welcome to Jewish Songwriter, Josh. Thanks so much, Sheldon. Thanks for having me. Thanks for um, thanks for being here. It is uh, an honor to have you on here, and I'm just psyched to catch up because because we've known each other for a, a good long while at this point. So, uh, what's going on with you? You know, biennials over. Uh, what are you up to? Man, I am I am just working, 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 working. I'm in like probably the most productive um, sort of. I don't know, music is just flowing out of me left and right in, awesome. in a beautiful way. But music and work is uh, is really, really exciting. And, and I feel like I'm sort of stepping into a new period uh, in my own writing and my own sort of output. So that's exciting, too. Yeah. Would you say that started with, um, if your God is my God, my God? Uh, yeah, one and only. One and only, yeah. It, it's funny, you know, sometimes things just, I know you get it. Sometimes you can work on something for months and months and months and, and never quite tweak it to the way you want. And then other times things just pour out mm -hmm. in 30 minutes or 20 minutes. And and that was one of those. It, it kind of had been sitting in the back of my head, uh, yeah. sort of in an unfinished form. And then all of a sudden just sort of showed its face. Mm -hmm. and that's always really exciting. You know, it's like, when, you know, in the moment when you're you're not trying too hard and things just sort of happen organically and holistically that you're probably onto something. So. For those listeners that maybe don't know you, can you give a, a brief um, story of yourself, starting like from the beginning where you were born, but really focusing on when you started your um, Jewish songwriting journey, or it can it can expand into your Jewish artistry journey? Sure. Uh, I grew up uh, on the Cape Cod area of Massachusetts, about an hour south of Boston, kind of right where Cape Cod bumps into the mainland. Uh, not a very big Jewish community uh, at the time that I was living there. There had been a, a generation or two before, but it had whittled down to a, a very, very small community. Mm -hmm. So I went to a high school with uh, almost 4,000 kids and seven Jews, which is pretty wild considering it's like 45, 50 minutes from Boston, which is such a big epicenter of the community. But right. So I, I was really, really deeply involved in USY as a kid, which was really important to me growing up. And uh, one of the things that challenged me as I became more deeply interested and involved in Judaism, you know, probably toward the end of high school and early college was, you know, my musical life was expanding so quickly and I was studying opera and, and doing all sorts of different stuff. And musically, my spiritual life had a big gap in it. And there, it was sort of selfish, I guess, to say, but it, I didn't find music that I found spiritually fulfilling, that I didn't find to be a point of access for me. And so part of what drove me to do it wasn't necessarily the thought of having a career or of working, but more so just sort of creating repertoire that could be a point of access for myself, mm -hmm. uh, which is sort of a strange thing when you, when you write something and you're the only one singing it. Right. You know, and I was, so I was lucky to, to have had a lot of different friends in the Jewish music world and they sort of, you know, encouraged me as I was going through school to consider doing this. And so around the time I was closing up a bachelor's, uh, I started touring and trying this. 
And both of those fields kind of grew at the same time. So I ensconced myself in academia and was pretty sure that I was going to stay on that track and try to become a professor. And so I ran the jazz department at Boston University for five or six years and wow. was pretty sure that that's where I was going to end up, um, sort of in a long-term position. And then right at the end of my, uh, my terminal degree, I decided that this wasn't exactly what I wanted to do, and I packed up and moved to New York. So I think you and I met, or I got to meet you when you came to my summer camp. I couldn't even tell you what year that was, but I would guess it was something like 99, 2000. You, were, uh, you and your brother with Yom Hadash. And uh, my favorite memory, of course, is after the show, which was fantastic, by the way, obviously. Um, we sat around in the Chadar Ochel, and uh, I pulled out my Harmony Stratotone, which we were talking about a couple weeks ago. And I actually have it. It's hidden behind me right now, so we could talk about it. But, but like, where was that in your story? Um, in terms of my journey, I was probably a, a senior in my undergrad and trying to figure out how all this was going to work at that time, 98, 99. Okay. And I used to play in this band, as you said, with my brother uh, for it was my first Jewish music experience from about 98 to 2005 or so. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, I, I really wanted to do something different with sort of a different musicality to it. And so I sort of left that band and moved to New York and tried to establish something different. That was close to uh, when you moved to New York then? Maybe a few years after that. That was sort of really the beginning. You know, there, there wasn't a lot happening at that time uh, in Jewish music that was Oh, look at that guitar. If you're listening on the podcast, the Stratotone is out and it's just, it's screaming for love. That's so great. So could you maybe just tell us what a typical day in your life would be? And I, I'm putting quotes around atypical because we all know that there is no such thing, but maybe just a window into the different types of things that occupy your time and that, that excite you and that allow you to be a Jewish artist. I find that there's sort of, it's like a Venn diagram. Mm -hmm. There's a Jewish part and an artist part and sort of a self-healing, self-care part. Mm -hmm. And that the three of those things have to overlap and have to find ways to interact with each other because it's very easy. You know, it's, it's an unending, it's an unending run on a treadmill, Mm -hmm. right? There kind of is no end game to this work particularly because we're working in such a small field, right? So, I mean, the the reality is that, like, people talk about, well, I want to make a Jewish music life for myself. Mm -hmm. And I would say make a happy, healthy life and find music and find Judaism Mm -hmm. and find ways for them to intersect in ways that feel holistic. Some days, they really are never the same. Some days I sit in front of a computer screen and make beats all day. Other days, I play cello for two or three hours in the morning and cello in two hours in the afternoon. Other days, you know, I'm doing notation. I occasionally produce for other artists. I um, work on large-scale event production for the Jewish community in different places. I have nice ways of staying involved in art that aren't always, you know, it's hard to get on a plane three, four weekends a month. And, you know, the older you get, the more you realize that you have to love that work so desperately And if you don't find that balance, then eventually the work turns against your sense of self and it all can't coalesce and coexist in the same space. So a typical day is is largely atypical 
All right. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about the inspiration for Avadim Hayinu slash <laughs> Wade in the Water? Yeah. So um, I was really lucky. One of my first professional Jewish music experiences was working with Perry Smilo. Um, and Perry had this, Perry had been a really strong civil rights activist her whole life. She still is. And she had a, uh, this wonderful experience where she performed uh, for an anti-defamation league Passover event. And so I was, I was really lucky to be part of this thing called the Freedom Music Project. Mm -hmm. And that project was essentially a collection of Passover songs and civil rights songs. I have that album. Um, sung by, yeah, <laughs> really, really interesting mm -hmm. Interesting record. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the first time I heard uh, these, some of these songs kind of reimagined was as part of that project. And so, you know, years and years later, a couple years ago, as I started to think about Pesach and something that I might want to produce, um, I kept coming back to this idea. And so I was, I played with these pieces a lot and sort of tried to reimagine ways that they could interact together and, and why they fit together. So Wade in the Water is actually has hidden messages in it about the Underground Railroad, hmm. um, like the, you know, staying in the riverbank. And it was all sort of code for for ways to be more successful to escape slavery. Hmm. Um, and clearly, like the connection with the, the imagery of the sea is parting was, you know, on a more surface level like the most obvious connection between these two communities and this shared experience. Mm -hmm. But there was so much more. There was so much, like, if you start to think about these narratives, they, they really are parallel and moving in sync with each other in remarkable mm -hmm. ways. Mm -hmm. And so I was always really, really struck by that. And I grew up in a, you know, in a, a part of Massachusetts that had a lot of racial challenges. Mm -hmm. um, and the, my city... Uh, of my youth, about ten years before I born, before I was born, was just shot up. Mm. It was a mess, mm -hmm. and so you know, there was a lot of that kind of peering over our shoulders as we grew up. And I felt kind of fortunate to sort of be able to escape it and kind of make my own way. Mm. But when I think about this music, I think that that was really important to me to touch on that that experience, that experience of being captive and then becoming free whatever your narrative is as related to it, it, it is a universal story. Mm -hmm. And then we all move from captivity to freedom in our way, hmm. um, either physically or spiritually or mentally. And that, you know, if Passover is about overcoming and breaking those chains, um, and I, I just felt really strongly about sort of having permission to gently appropriate this sort of traditionally African-American material. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious to know, do you have any really creative, I mean, the mashup itself is creative, but do you have any tips or any creative ideas for how to teach this, um, how to present it in various settings, anything that, that you have done that someone who wants to learn the song and present it um, or lead it might benefit from? I think sometimes there's two ways to present an idea. Mm -hmm. You can present the pieces first and then lead people to where those two pieces culminate, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Or you can make them see the beauty in that culmination and then allow them to be part of the integration. Mm. And those are two really different processes to the same goal. Okay. I think if, you know, there's probably some best practices you could discern about, you know, 
how to teach two things together and whether to teach the course of one or the course of the other and sort of talkless like ABC steps. But there's a much higher level, like what are you trying to get, what perspective are you trying to get people to take? And what are you trying to get, what button are you trying to push so that people's light bulbs go off on their own? Not because you told them, but because they saw it. Because when they see it, they really see it. They internalize it and know it, right? Can we um, talk about your writing process? Do you have like a common way that you try to approach songwriting? Or do you have any exercises that you could share with the listeners that you find have been really successful for you? Absolutely. I write songs all day long. Mm-hmm. You, I, I mean, all day long. Mm-hmm. And I sing songs mostly to myself, embarrassingly so, mm-hmm. about pretty much everything I see. And I, when I'm alone and not in conversation with other people, I am creating a sung rhymed narrative to a large part of what's <laughs> happening. Um, sort of like uh, what I assume is a similar root process of like freestyle rap. Uh-huh. Same sort of intellectual process. Uh-huh. But the biggest thing I ever really learned about songwriting comes from Stephen Sondheim. Mm-hmm. And he talks about scanning. And scanning is the way, not just that like the words speak or the way they sound, but the way they come out of the mouth when they're sung, mm-hmm. right? Certain things are fun to sing. Right. You could swap in a different word and it wouldn't change the meaning of, of a line, but it'll change the feel of a line right. completely. Mm-hmm. And finding that awesome synchronicity of lyric and melody so that they speak to each other and dance with each other mm-hmm. is the is is to me the the place where people give up too soon. And so in terms of process, get down everything you can. Um I keep a parking lot of ideas, which I I enjoy very much if I want to write as, I mean, I see it as a craft and something I work at every day. Mm-hmm. Try to write something every day, mm-hmm. even if it's just, you know, eight bars of a string quartet mm-hmm. or, you know, some stanzas of lyrics. I try to create output every day because that library, it's like the old Moleskine notebook, you know, that the library of ideas and thoughts like it becomes your little Bible of, of self-reflection. Mm-hmm. And that's the most honest stuff. That's the stuff that has the possibility to reach someone else because it's real and it's really from you. Mm-hmm. And I think it also, for me, it's a muscle. And when you write every day, you're in shape and you can reach deeper, quicker and find the language that you really want to use when you're practiced at it. You know, we're of the same age that I'm going to make a horrible cultural okay. reference. Okay, <laughs> I'm ready. But um, I have, I have a deep love for this movie, Happy Gilmore. Oh, yes. <laughs> right? Which, if you're of a certain age, and so for mm-hmm. the younger folks in the listening, um, Happy Gilmore is essentially the story of a, of a wannabe hockey player who discovers that he can drive a golf ball very, very far. Mm-hmm. So he goes and sort of without meaning to becomes a golfer and he refuses to accept the fact that he is a golfer and he's just in the golf to make the money until he can get out and go back to playing hockey. Mm-hmm. And at the very end, you know, the, the, the sort of pinnacle moment of the movie, I guess if an Adam Sandler movie can have a bit of yep. a moment, mm-hmm. the moment is we're like happy. You're a golfer. Mm-hmm. You're a golfer. 
just because you think you're supposed to be a hockey player, you're a golfer. Yeah. And, and be a golfer because you're amazing. Mm-hmm. And being willing to follow your, your muse and, and allow yourself to pursue art with some kind of honesty and vulnerability, even if it's scary and even if, if it hurts, is the only way that real art gets born. And the only mm-hmm. way, really, that we're able to connect spirituality and music in a true way is if the music itself is born of that sense of honesty and yes. vulnerability. I always like to end the podcast with a little lightning round just for fun. This is like a Rorschach test. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm ready. I'm ready. What's the last book you read? Fire and Fury. What was the last song you listened to? Sir Duke by Stevie Wonder. Cannot go wrong with Stevie. What was the last movie you watched? Oh, Lucky. What is your guilty pleasure song? The song you are embarrassed to love. Oh, How Deep Is Your Love by the Bee Gees. Nice. Um, What's your most used emoji? Winky smile. Anything else you want to add before we close up? No, just thank you for doing this. You're doing amazing work. And and I so wish when I had just sort of been considering doing this work that I had been able to listen to a conversation just like this, or I'm sure all the other conversations that you're having. It's it's such a, a beautiful thing for there to be some kind of path to, to even consider walking. Uh, and I'm excited that you're taking the initiative to sort of create that for so many people. So thank you. Uh, thank you. And I just want to say you have always been extremely generous, not only to me, but also to Hadar. And some of our listeners may not know that Hadar used to travel all around the country with you, uh, singing back up. And um, it's, it's just always... Um, I have just always appreciated your wisdom and your generosity with both of us. And um, that continues to today. So thank you for being on the podcast. It's my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. This is Avadim Hainu, Wade in the Water, performed by Josh Nelson. Stop.
That's it for this episode of Jewish Songwriter. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Spotify, YouTube, and Facebook. On the next episode of Jewish Songwriter... Hi, it's Joni Leeds. Jewish Songwriter is produced by Sheldon Lowe, edited by Ben Mazak of Native Sound on Historic Cherokee Street in St. Louis, Missouri, and distributed by Hallelujah Music. Until next time, keep writing out there, and thanks for listening. Hey,